Welcome to Her Story, Ireland's Epic Women, a podcast dedicated to the women that shaped our history. This podcast is brought to you by Underground Films, Epic the Irish Emigration Museum, herstory.ie and RTE, ahead of our TV series, Her Story, Ireland's Epic Women, on RTE in spring 2020. This podcast is hosted by Dr. Angela Byrne with additional storytelling from Tall Tales Podcasts. Dr. Ida Mitchell typifies the emergence of a new group of Irish women, particularly from Ulster, in the last quarter of the 19th century, and that is the female Presbyterian missionary. Often the daughters of churchmen, they were usually middle class and educated. Dr. Ida devoted 11 years of her life to Chinese women, even while back in Belfast on sick leave in 1910-12. When she first arrived in China, the Irish Presbyterian mission there was a small operation, staffed by Sarah McWilliams and the Reverend Francis O'Neill. The mission district covered 5,000 square miles and a population of 500,000, of which 1,300 were Chinese Christians. By the time of Dr. Ida's death, the region had a new hospital and dispensary and six Chinese women had been trained by Ida herself as dispensary assistants. In 1893, Ida had decided to study medicine, having heard that the China missions were badly in need of women doctors. Four years later, she entered Queen Margaret College at Glasgow, where she was supported by donations from her father's parish until her graduation in 1903. The Russo-Japanese War postponed her departure for China until October 1905. In the interim, she worked as a house surgeon in a Manchester dispensary, she taught Sunday school, she helped in a girls' club and she corresponded with missionaries in China. Her letters were published in the book Dr Isabel Mitchell of Mancuria, 1918. In October 1905, the way was open for her to sail to China. Speaking at a farewell meeting in Belfast, she closed her address with these words. I feel you are doing me an honour of which I am utterly unworthy. I can only thank you from the depths of my heart and I will say I will do my best to fulfil the trust you have put in me. You will bear with me if I make many mistakes at first, if I am long in learning the language, if I blunder and stumble. You will know that I am trying and you will ask for me that I may have courage and patience and love. While at medical school, Mitchell was an outstanding student, winning four medals and two prizes. But her application to her studies was the result of missionary zeal. Her intolerance of non-Christian religions is evident in her remarks on Buddhism. She wrote, It gives me a terrible hopeless feeling sometimes just to see it all, and to think what a tiny, tiny speck the Christians are in the midst of the millions who are so busy worshipping the idols. On arrival in Fakumen in China in November 1905, Dr. Ida immediately began learning Mandarin, with which she struggled greatly. She had travelled to China alone, but ended up surrounded by friends and family through the extended missionary network. 
her sister and her brother-in-law, Janie and Reverend James McWhorter, later joined the mission also. She was comforted in no small way by the presence of Sarah McWilliams, who she later referred to jokingly as her husband. In her last months, a college friend called Mae McCarrow came to visit her in China, and they travelled around Japan and Korea together, and Mitchell remarked in a letter to her mother at this time, it's quite nice to have a wife. Despite these close, comforting relationships, Dr Ida described herself as medically quite alone, and she bore the weight of her responsibilities in China heavily. Her letters describe various cases, treatments and surgeries, such as the removal of a malignant tumour from a 16-year-old who died the day following the surgery, and the amputation of the foot of a girl who hadn't walked for eight months. In a letter dated November 1907, Mitchell writes, Monday was a wild day and I had not many patients, but just as I was coming away from the dispensary, a cart came an open country cart with an old man and an old woman and a white-faced girl whom they carried into the dispensary kang. She was blue with cold but smiled even then. Three days in an open cart through all the snow and mud coming from a place 37 miles away because someone had told them that a friend of theirs had been in Fakuman to see another friend who had a friend in a hospital where there was a woman doctor, an Englishwoman, who had skill. So with hearts full of faith, off they came at once, bringing their daughter who has suffered for two years and has not walked for eight months and more. Poor little lassie, what a foot, the size of a head and wrapped up in layer after layer of Chinese paper. She began undoing her parcel and before long, my little dispenser had to open all the windows as we all felt ill. I wonder what the poor child had suffered all these months and specifically on that long cart journey. I told them at once there was nothing for it but amputation. They never hesitated. All right, doctor, take it off. We put her on a warm kang and gave her some food. I thought of sending her to Makudin, but I went home to consider and had to ask for guidance. I knew it should be done and done at once, in spite of shaking knees. You cannot think what it was like to come home that night to a lonely little house and not be able to say to anyone, I have to amputate a foot tomorrow. I know I am a most awful goose to be so afraid and I don't tell other people, but you know me better than to think I am brave. Suffice it to say that on the morrow it was done. Shine Girl gave chloroform for me and the two Jang girls helped me. In an hour it was all over and she was back on her kang, trying very hard to smile at me when I asked her did she know me. She was very sick for two days, but never once one little murmur. She is feeling so well now and wanted to sit up today. I think I never in all my experience saw such a plucky and patient little soul. Another letter describes a case of a woman consuming opium. The photographer's nice wife, Mrs. Wang, walked home with us on Sunday and was very anxious I should see her illness, as she had a bad cough. I told her to come any day and I would examine her, but she would have to wait for medicine. At six o'clock yesterday, just as it was growing dark, I heard a great row and in came four or five big men with the news that Mrs. Wang had swallowed a large dose of opium and they thought she was dying and would I go. It seemed she had been dressing to come to see me and quarrelled with her husband over some ornament she wanted to buy for her hair. 
they had a bitter quarrel and the husband departed out of the house in anger and the wife took opium. I found myself very destitute of drugs but we both hurried off. It was some hours since she had taken the poison. I think that they did not want us to know only she became very ill. She was quite unconscious when we came in and I splashed her head with cold water and shook her heart until she got the sense enough to swallow the mustard. Then Dr. Wang appeared with a stomach pump, which I was rejoiced to see, and soon we made use of it. She came to and recognised us, but if we left her alone for a minute, she was asleep. So I shook and douched her with hot and cold water, till I think the people were afraid of me. But I didn't mind if I could bring her round. As soon as her pulse became a little better, I put her on her feet, and I think I shall never forget Miss Mack and her marching up and down that little room together. After a little, her brother took her out behind into the fresh air and would not let her close her eyes for a moment, while a small boy held a lantern and her husband stood with a face as white as a sheet and watched. We left her in the end quite sensible, though still very drowsy, and warned them not to let her go to sleep. It was my first opium case. I hope I shall not have many more like it, that they say it is quite common here. Mrs. Wang is such a nice, quiet girl and I was amazed, but they do anything in a fit of anger. The pathetic bit was that as soon as she came round a little, she was very anxious to recover and did her best to keep awake, but the heavy lids would fall even when they marched her about. Her greatest legacy was the opening in October 1909 of a new women's hospital supported by generous donations, and it reopened several years after her death. After her return from sick leave in 1912, her next big project was to be the establishment of a fund to train Chinese women in Western medicine, sadly a dream that she didn't live to realise. Her second legacy was the training of six Chinese women dispensary assistants. Her letters to her mother convey her conviction that her work could improve lives. She vowed in 1915, I want to fight tuberculosis it killed two million in China last year and I want the girls to help me to fight it. She complained bitterly of the poverty surrounding her and the cramped, windowless homes in which disease spread so easily. Her own health had been poor for a number of years but deteriorated suddenly and she died in March 1917 of diphtheria, one of the infectious diseases that plagued the region that she worked in. She was buried in the Russian cemetery in Jilin, where her sister lived. Her letters were published in 1917 by her former colleague, Reverend O'Neill, went through three editions in 18 months and remain today as an invaluable record of Irish women's experiences of global missionary work. This show was brought to you by Underground Films, Epic the Irish Emigration Museum, HerStory.ie and RTE. Mixed and produced by Cassia Tall Tales Podcasts and presented by Dr. Angela Byrne. If you like this story, subscribe for more on iTunes and Spotify and check out our TV series, Her Story, Ireland's Epic Women on RTE in Spring 2020. Her Story's score composed by Scott Marr and Oisin Murray.